0: 11. Hebrews 11. This sermon is entitled Why Loving Trees is a Sin. I like to mess with Drew, uh, but uh, no, seriously, we, we need to watch out for idolatry, even if it's trees, Drew. Good to see you this morning. Of course, I'm joking, uh, just in case somebody doesn't realize that. Uh, I appreciate uh, the men of this congregation who take the effort to think about what we're going to be talking about and try to weave together uh, the things that we sing and the things that we're going to study and read together. I appreciate that so much. Good to see you this morning. We're going to begin in Hebrews 11 and verse 8. We're going to spend some time in different parts of this chapter uh, for a few minutes this morning. Hebrews 11 and verse 8. Because he was looking at different things than other people were looking at. It says there in verse 10, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. He was looking at something else. And I want to take a few minutes this morning and think about what we can learn from the life of this great man. Particularly, I want to look at one aspect of his life, the way that this is described in the book of Hebrews. I want to talk about how Abraham shows the fact that we need vision. We need the ability to look beyond where we are to see some things that God has revealed to us and some things that are going to help us as we look forward in our lives and then beyond our lives to the time after our lives end and what comes next. Vision is what made Abraham different. Vision is what led to his service for God. Vision is what prompted his great acts of faith. If you were to boil it down to one thing that Abraham had that the people around him did not have, I believe it would be this, vision. Because Abraham saw things other people weren't seeing. And that led him to obey God. So let's talk about this for a few minutes. The first thing that we need vision to see is that we need vision to see beyond temporary things. That's what Abraham does. But that is really what the Hebrew writer here is talking about when he uses the term faith. If you look back in verse 1 of Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 and verse 1, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That we can be convicted about things that we don't see. That's a very challenging idea for us. We live in a time and in a world that is very materialistic, meaning it's about what we can see and touch and taste, what we observe. And there might be things beyond that, but we have a really hard time understanding or being convicted about things that we can't see and document. That is also, I mean, that's always been true, but it's particularly true of our time. What the Hebrew writer is saying is that is the essence of faith, to be able to see the unseen and to know that it's real and to be convicted that it really is this way. Look down in verse 7 where he talks about Noah. In Hebrews 11 and verse 7, "...by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen." in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah was told there would be a flood, and it says that that was yet unseen. There was nothing like that that he had experienced, and yet he believed in something that he had never seen and trusted that God would do what God had said, even though he had not ever observed anything like that. And so he built an ark. Okay, building an ark to prevent or to protect him from a danger that he had no idea what it really was. He didn't fully understand. That's the idea of faith here. So when we talk about seeing beyond temporary things, it is the idea that sometimes it's hard to believe that things will ever be different than the way they are now. It's hard for us to see that the things, the circumstances we live in are not permanent. It takes vision to be able to look beyond the way things are now to the way things might be in the future. That's what Abraham had. So let's look in Hebrews 11 and verse 8 and talk about Abraham for a minute. Hebrews 11 and verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So Abraham obeyed because he saw that God would lead him where he needed to go. And he knew that he was ignorant about where where he was going and how that was going to look. But he also knew that his ignorance was temporary. He was only going to be ignorant for a while because eventually God was going to take him to the place where he was going. And so he went out not knowing at that moment where he was going, but trusting that God would lead him. And that if he trusted God, he would bless him. Verse 9, "...by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with them of the same promise." So I want to take you back to this because I really want to get our our heads into Abraham's thought process. Abraham is living there with his family and God says, get up and go. And Abraham goes without knowing where he's going. He begins to live, uh, we would call it as a nomad. He begins to live where there's nowhere that's his home. And he lives in the land of Canaan, but he doesn't have any property in the land of Canaan. None of it belongs to him. Instead, it says here in verse 9 that he lived in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Now, Isaac is the son that eventually is born to him after a number of years of waiting. Jacob is his grandson. And so they are, in a sense, as we'll talk about in a minute, fulfillments of some of the promises God makes to Abraham. But they are certainly not, this is not the intention Abraham had when he was promised a land. I'm going to give you a land And then he doesn't see that the land is his. He doesn't live to understand that that promise will be fulfilled to him. So he has the idea then that this this life I'm living, this living in an unsettled way, is only temporary. And it does not mean that God hasn't fulfilled his promise. It means God hasn't fulfilled his promise yet. And that yet is important because it means that the current situation is temporary. So why does Abraham have that vision to see beyond temporary things? Verse 10 helps us here. Verse 10 says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose builder and designer was God. It says he was looking forward to a life in a city with foundations. The idea here is that Abraham saw that there was no place on earth that was truly his home. And he was comfortable with that idea. Now I know sometimes we say that and sometimes we sing that song, this world's not my home. And and we try. I don't know about you, but I I have a hard time with that song because I I really want to feel that way, but I do feel at home in certain, I mean, home feels like home, right? When I I think about my home, I think that 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 is my home in a sense. Abraham didn't even have what we would call a home. So he was truly able to say, There's something better waiting for me and there's no place here that I'm going to have what I'm really seeking. He has a vision that looks beyond just where he is. Now, we don't know how much he knew. This verse implies that he knew a lot. If you look carefully at verse 10, it implies that he knew a lot. He looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Something about how God was building a place for his people that was a city with true foundations that would last But but whatever he knew, we know that he had faith enough that it began to affect his behavior because he was willing to deal with temporary difficulty because he was looking forward to what was to come. So it leads Abraham to get up when God says to go. It leads to Abraham. Just think about this. Day after day, waking up, getting up out of that tent, going out and making his animals graze on borrowed land. It makes him, day after day, do the simple work of, okay, is it time for us to move on, strike camp, go on to the next place? Are people here tired of us? It makes him say to Lot, you take that land, I'll take this land. It makes him say, maybe we need to go to Egypt. Maybe we need to get out of town for a little while. It makes him live in this unsettled way for his entire life. In fact, Abraham is going to die with this same perspective. It never comes true in his lifetime. Look down at verse 13. Hebrews 11 and verse 13. It says, These all died in faith. Talking about all the people he has been talking about. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So it says, particularly in verse 13, that they have acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles. Your version might say something like pilgrims on the earth. Abraham will die with that perspective. I don't belong here. I have a vision of a better homeland, a city with foundations where things are finally going to be the way God has said they would be. And I am saying that you and I need vision like that to say that everything about the circumstances in which we live is temporary. Sometimes we have this saying, this too shall pass. Usually we save that for hard times, right? And we say, you know what? This is a hard time, but this too shall pass. It helps us in those situations to understand that the situations of our lives are temporary. But it also means that when we have to use that phrase, it's because we have a hard time keeping the temporariness in mind. Yes, that is a word. I had to look it up. Temporariness. We have a hard time keeping that in mind. We have a hard time thinking that what we're dealing with right now is going to end. But anything is bearable, isn't it? If we can control how long we have to do it. Anything is bearable if it's temporary. And that's the idea Abraham had. There are things that are temporary, and I can bear them because they're temporary. I want to remind you of this. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Paul says, "...so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction..." He's talking about what the apostles were going through as they did their work of ministry. "...this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison." As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, the things that are unseen are eternal. So I want you to notice there's an odd phrasing in this. Because he says, we look at things that are unseen. Okay, doesn't that kind of bend your mind a little bit? What we keep looking at, our vision, is for things that we don't see. Because he says, the things that are seen are transient. That means they're moving, they're temporary, they're not permanent but the things that are seen are eternal. So we too need the vision to be able to see that even as we die, as our outer man perishes, that our inner man can be renewed and that the suffering we go through is not worth comparing to the glory that we're going to receive as God's promises are fulfilled. So we need vision, like Abraham, to see beyond temporary things. Let me help make that a little more practical for us. Vision is the idea of bringing an alternative reality into our minds and then living toward the the alternative reality. So we need a vision like this, parents, for our children, that we look at our children and what we see is not just where they are, but we see where we want them to be. This is what I dream for my children. This is what I want for them. And I have a vision. I want them to be this. And then because I know that where they are right now is temporary. It's not the way they're always going to be. Then I work. How can I get the future and the vision I have for their future and work toward that today and tomorrow and the next day so that we can bring that vision into reality? And I need that kind of vision for my marriage, where I look at my marriage and say, well, this is what's going on now, but that's not permanent. That the situation we're in now is just the situation we're in now. How can I see beyond where we are to what I want us to be, and then build toward that and work daily toward that. I need that kind of vision for my work so that I can look at my work and say, where am I, where do I want to be, and how do I bridge that gap? I need that kind of vision for my spiritual life where I say, I want to be this kind of person. I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be someone who knows the book. I want to be someone who shows care for other people. And then, well, if I have that vision, how do I work toward that vision? But I have to understand in that that there are things that are temporary and that the state I'm in is not permanent so that I can walk toward a better place like Abraham did. And when I do that, not just in those areas of my life, but particularly in my relationship with God, when I do that, it makes some of the discomfort that I have in the moment a little more bearable. Do you remember the story of of Jacob and Rachel and how Jacob goes to Laban and he wants Rachel and Laban says, because Laban was a swindler, he says, work for me seven years and I'll give her to you. And the text says that Jacob worked for Rachel seven years, but it seemed like only a few days because of the love he had for her. Do you see what happens when, when we have something we truly want When we have that kind of vision, it makes hardship more bearable. Because we have something we want so badly that we'll endure that. That's what Abraham was like. He was looking toward the city with foundations. He was looking for a homeland that was better. And so, you know, if I have to spend my life, my entire life, working toward that in this difficult way, that's okay because I know this is real and I trust that God will bring it. That's the kind of vision that we need. Second, Uh, We need vision to see the fulfillment of God's promises. Abraham, we talked about, left home because God told him to. But God didn't just say, leave. This is actually what he said. This is Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a lot to say about this passage. But I really want you to see the idea that he promises to make a great nation of Abraham. And he also promises to bless all families of the earth through him. So part of that is the land that he's going to take him to. But part of that is the idea that he's going to give him children and make one man into a great nation and Abraham has to wait a long time to see that promise actually fulfill but God makes these promises to Abraham and Abraham acts as if they are true he trusts that God's going to do all that he has said even though sometimes that becomes very difficult for him to trust so for example Even though Abraham has no children, he has the vision to see. you know what? I know what God can do. And if God decides that I'm going to have children and that those children are going to become a great nation, God can do that. That's no problem for God. And so he has trust in God's promises. He has the vision to say, I know I can see a situation in which God could act and bring this into being. And he has vision to see it. Look in Hebrews 11 and verse 11. Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So Sarah also had this vision and I want you to notice what is said there in verse 11, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She knew that this was about her estimation of God's faithfulness or truthfulness. The question is, can God keep his word? And this kind of vision is the stuff of legends. Do you see what he says there in verse 12? From one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, innumerable as the grains of sand on the seashore. Grains of sand on the seashore. So, Abraham and Sarah as difficult as it may be, saw a situation in which God could do this. And so she, it says, by faith received strength to conceive. Abraham, hard as it was to believe, remember, he has a hard time. He says, how am I going to do this? What are you going to give me? I don't have any children. And then he says in another situation, well, what about Ishmael? And God says, no, no, I'm going to give you a son. By Sarah, And so Abraham believes God. In fact, I want you to take a moment. Let's, let's put a marker or a finger here in Hebrews 11. Go with me over to Romans 4. Because in Romans 4, Paul really details how challenging this was for Abraham to believe and, and how many different opportunities he had uh, to turn away from actually accepting this idea of the promise God had made. Romans chapter 4. I want to start in verse 17. Romans 4 and verse 17. It says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he, as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. In hope, it says he believed against hope, something he really did not know if he could believe. He didn't think too hard, it says, about his body or about Sarah's body and about whether the bodies were capable of doing that. You know, in our time, we would think about, well, this is just biology, you know. He says, no, I'm not going to think too much about that. I'm going to focus on God and what God can do. And because Abraham had that vision, it says he grew strong in faith. And in that vision, he says, God can do it. I can see God doing it. And that faith is counted to him as righteousness. God accepted Abraham because Abraham trusted him. Here's what I'm going for with this. We very often have people who make promises to us or try to sell us on a vision. I'm thinking about, uh, you guys know, I always come back to sports. I'm thinking about college football coaches. You hire a college football coach. Okay, Arkansas did this last year. A&M did this last year where... The guy comes in, and and what's the first thing he does? He wants to talk to the team. He wants to talk to the press and the fans. And he's going to tell it, this is why we're going to win. This is where we're going. Let me tell you about how great we're going to be. Now, none of it's happened yet. It's all a vision. This is my vision for this program. Same thing happens in politics. You have politicians, and they get up and they say, let me tell you about my vision for the country. Here is where I want us to go. And we'll talk about hope or change or making America great again or whatever it is. It's a vision. And none of it is reality yet. It's about this is what I hope to do. Can I convince you that this is where we can go together? And and it's not to say that because those things haven't happened yet, they don't matter. In fact, they very much matter because they determine whether people are going to accept and follow along after our vision. But the question that's behind all of that, whether we're talking about a football coach or a politician or whoever, the question is, can they really do or will they really do what they say they're gonna do? And so it comes back to what was said about Sarah, that she considered him faithful. When people make promises, we wanna know, will they keep their word? And when we talk about God, we need the vision to know that when God promises something, I'm going to have to see that somehow God's going to make that happen. I have an abundance of evidence of the fact that God is faithful to his promises. Over and over again, he shows it. In fact, very often, I love this about God, he fulfills his promises in ways that we wouldn't expect, in ways that almost always surprise the people he promised, even Abraham at times. But what I'm saying is we need the vision to see God's going to find a way And I need to be ready for how God's going to do that. Let's go back to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. You see a lot of this in this chapter uh, where we talk about vision and God fulfilling the promises, particularly because a lot of the great heroes of faith did not see the full fulfillment of what God had told them was going to happen. Hebrews 11 and 13 Hebrews eleven thirteen. 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Do you notice the language there? They saw the promises and greeted them from afar. I picture uh, somebody waving from a distance. I see it, I want it, but it's, it's distant. It's far away from me. And yet they accept it and welcome it as their own. God has fulfilled and will fulfill his promises. They lived by a vision. In fact, in verse 39, Hebrews 11 39, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us we should not be made perfect. So, here's my point. We need vision to see that while many of God's promises are fulfilled, there are some yet to be fulfilled. Okay, you see how we live in the in between? Abraham lived in the in between, too. Abraham did have some of God's promises fulfilled, like the promise to be made a great nation, to have children. And yet, Abraham had many of those promises not fulfilled, like the land he was promised, like the blessing to all nations of the earth through his descendants. Those things had not been fulfilled. So, he lived in this in between where he knew enough about God to be able to trust that what he had said still would come to pass. And we live in the same position. We have seen God's promises fulfilled, not just the promises to people of old. We've seen God's promises fulfilled in our lives. Like when God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And we've seen that. We've seen that in our lives. We've seen that in the lives of others. And yet there are promises that we still wait on the fulfillment. We're still waiting for the return of Jesus. We're still waiting for the resurrection from the dead. We're still waiting for the time when we will be with Jesus in eternity and live with him. Romans eight twenty four says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So we hope even though we do not see. That's vision. To be able to see beyond what we see. So, we need vision to see that God's promises will be fulfilled and to see, to look backward and see how God has fulfilled promises. The third thing about Abraham is that we need vision to see the power of God. I want you to look in verse 17 with me. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, the Hebrew writer specifies, this is the Isaac God had promised to fulfill his promises through. Okay? In Isaac, your seed will be called, Your offspring will be named. And so, God tells Abraham to go offer up his son, even though Abraham knows. God hates human sacrifice. God had promised the son. And what is Abraham thinking? He specifies in verse 19... He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. He has the vision to see God undoing what he's about to do. So I'm going to go obey God and trust that God's going to fix what I'm about to break. That is some remarkable vision and faith in the power of God. In fact, I want to point out that Abraham's vision of God and his power is greater than his understanding He doesn't understand why God wants him to do this. Instead, he just trusts when he doesn't understand. That is a challenge for us. Because we live in a scientific age where if there is anything that happens, we assume that there must be an explanation. And we want to understand why things happen the way they happen and why things are the way they are. The idea that there might be things that we can't explain really bothers us. And so we assume that what we can't explain must not be true. If there's something I don't have the understanding to grasp, or somebody, some scientist somewhere, some educated person somewhere, if they can't explain it, it must not be true. Abraham's faith is a lot more simple than that. In fact, there is another example of this in the Bible, uh, of people who feel something's not true because they can't understand it. Do you remember the Sadducees? Sadducees were the ones who denied that there was a resurrection. And they come to Jesus, and they had this elaborate scene where one woman's married to a man, and he dies, and then her, his brother marries her, and so on and so forth. And then they ask the question, Jesus, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? See, what they think is, If I can't explain how the resurrection works, and if you can't explain how the resurrection works, there must not be a resurrection. And Jesus says, do you remember? You are wrong. Because you know neither the power of God nor the scriptures. Which is, by the way, a pretty big slap in the face. But it's about the power of God. That maybe God has powers that we can't explain or fully understand. And it may be just because I don't understand it doesn't mean God doesn't understand it. And it certainly doesn't mean it's not real. And so very often to express that idea of our limited understanding and God's greatness of power, there is an image that's used in the Bible. It is the image of opening eyes to be able to see, maybe for the first time, God's power and God's provision. It is, in other words, expanding our vision of the power of God. Do you remember this? Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Talking about his servant. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Suddenly, there was a lot more to the idea of an army coming up against Elisha than he realized, because his eyes were opened. This is Hagar, who is sent away by Abraham and Sarah, it says, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. He opened her eyes and suddenly she sees that God has provided for her in a way she did not expect. This is Numbers 22:31. 31. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hands. Good thing he got his eyes open on that one. In other words, this is a kind of vision that is not natural. It's a kind of vision that says I have to see more than what I think I see or just my understanding. It's looking through the eyes of faith and spiritual awareness. It's seeing God in the everyday things of life, opening the eyes that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And when we have that kind of vision, it leads us to be bold, like Abraham who steps out in faith. Hey, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to go anyway. I trust God. Hey, I don't know how God's going to give me Isaac back, but I trust God. And so we begin to have a boldness. We are empowered and we become grateful because we see how God provides for us. Well, I lost track of my time. I got a lot more to say. I didn't even get to the part about trees. So, Huh, what should I do here? Can I just say like three more things? All right. Well, I guess if you don't want me to, you can leave. All right, so we need vision to see beyond temporary things. Vision keeps me aware that my life is temporary. My time is valuable. I need to be moving toward something. See the fulfillment of God's promises. Vision keeps me aware of God's presence in my life and that there are goals I'm moving toward that God has offered me and promised me and that God is working in me to fulfill. And to see the power of God, vision keeps me fresh and childlike in my trust in God instead of bitter and jaded. God can always do things beyond my expectations, even if I haven't seen it before, if I'm like Abraham. All right, thanks so much for your attention. We'll be dismissed for our classes.